1: Outkick 360 across the Outkick network in the Tennessee Power Hour is here. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Titans training camp is here. Time to go inside Titans training camp. We're about to speak with Paul Koharski, who will join us live from t- training camp at St. Thomas Sports Park, where he has this vantage point. Some of the work going on today, red zone drills, a lot to discuss in this aspect. As you see, Nick Westbrook-Akina matched up against Brian Borders and more one-on-one drills in space for tight ends and linebackers where Landry matched up with Anthony Ferkser, a big camp for Anthony Ferkser, as we will get further details uh, from PK, who we join with live from Titans training camp right now. Uh, Every day, thorough, detailed reports from what the Titans have done. Paul, hope you're doing well, man. Hope you stayed cool or cool-ish out there.
0: Not a factor. Uh, You know, been doing it since 1995. Oxnard, California was a little cooler than Nashville, Tennessee or Houston, Texas. But uh, had the butterflies today, which uh, I was talking to a PR guy is a good sign, right? If you still have them on first day, like, I wonder if I'm going to have anything to talk about. But there's plenty to talk about. There's plenty that went on. Uh, And there's plenty of heat. There always is. Uh, Forgive the cap, shade in the face. But, uh, you know, we got the cancer spot over there and we're taking care of ourselves.
2: Paul, you look far better than I expected uh, in this angle (laughs) and the way you look right now. So um, that's probably a guess on what I was expecting. But what you've delivered is a far better, just uh, uh, the optics of it look uh, amazing compared to what I had in my head, what this would look like. Everyone behind the scenes giving you a
0: thumbs up for that as well. Yeah. All right. How well, the- I appreciate it to the Titans that they got the, the Wi-Fi going out here for us. Um, so because there's major construction going on and everything's a little bit chaotic. Uh, and uh, I, I maybe change vantage point over the next couple of days and you'll see the new building, which is directly behind me. So I'll give you that. We'll change the background every day.
1: Uh, shout out to Puff and, and Dwight and Robbie and, and everyone involved that, that helped us with the, the setup and, and testing. I really appreciate that. Uh, where we're going to bring live coverage daily from Titans training camp when it's open to the media. Paul, let's start with just the start of the day with John Robinson, his comments about vaccinated players, uh, and then what you observed from players wearing masks during uh, the warm-up session today.
0: Well, it, he held an impromptu press session over. You can see over my, uh, my shoulder, actually over there, yep. um, this is kind of the pen right there. I can't get it, but uh, you see it over my shoulder. Uh, So there's double fence there, and you're six feet away. You talk to the guys over that pit, and he held the impromptu session. My uh, crudely crafted pole is a big hit. Everybody says, great idea. So I'll show that to you as well uh, in the coming days. Uh, But Robinson was talking when I got here, and several of us came in late on that um said that they're 90 that 90 i think is vaccinated or vaccinated pending the two week um you know finalization of that vaccination ryan Tannehill was wearing a mask during warm-ups christian fulton was wearing a mask during warm-ups i confess to not having been able to scan um everybody during that period So, Ryan Tannehill tells us that he's in process. So, he's gotten a shot, but he hasn't made the two weeks, you know, which makes me think, well, you know, here's an NFL quarterback leader of his team, and he doesn't know the calendar to be ready for the beginning of camp. But then he basically said, look, he succumbed to the NFL's pressure. Um, So, the NFL's plan to push guys to get vaccinated worked for the Titans starting quarterback. He didn't want to get the vaccine, but he considered what the NFL put out, some of which was inside those two weeks, frankly, and decided uh, I can't lead this team and we can't build the chemistry that we need if I'm eating over there separate of the guys and if I have to be separate of the guys during meetings and in all of these situations. And he did the wise thing in, in my estimation and I think in the estimation of most NFL people. And he did what the workplace requires of him. Um, and, and got the shot or the shots. Um, and soon uh, after his two weeks pass, he'll be eligible to be with the team in a way that I believe the quarterback needs to be with the team effectively to lead it in a potential championship season.
2: Paul, we talked a lot about these NFL protocols and their desire to get everyone vaccinated. And now they're putting a squeeze on unvaccinated players with the protocols and with the possibilities of what could happen to their team if there is an outbreak, and here you have Ryan Tannehill stating, I wasn't going to get the vaccine until I saw these rules from the the NFL. I think it's a big story uh, with a starting quarterback of an NFL team and a star like Ryan Tannehill saying this. Do you think Ryan Tannehill is one of a few that this is going to work on, or is this going to be more of a trend with guys who were unvaccinated beforehand?
0: I don't know which way it goes, Chad, but I, I would think the NFL uses them as opposed to boy. I would think in Washington, where Ron Rivera has taken the opposite approach of everybody, right? We've talked about this. They're using honey, not vinegar, to try to get guys to change their mind, being patient and easing them along, right? And, and talking to education and, and all of that, not why the hell won't you do this? Let's go. Uh, Ron Rivera has been the exception to that. He he said, I'm immunocompromised and you guys are putting me at risk and I've got to take all of these precautions. And it's a real inconvenience for me. And I wish you had more respect for that factor in this thing. After you watched me battle cancer last year, um, I would think Ron Rivera is putting a picture of Ryan Tannehill's, uh, you know, putting a snippet of Ryan Tannehill's video that we tweeted out today and saying, look at this guy. He didn't want to get the vaccine, but he decided it was necessary for him to be able to lead his football team, a very good football team. And so he took one for the team, so to speak. And I'm asking you to take one for the team and to consider something like the fact that I'm immunocompromised, and and to take one to, to go do it. And I would think Ryan Tannehill is now a bit of a poster boy um, for for the cause and a bit of a reinforcement for the league, right? The league, yeah. some would say, are going to dr- draconian uh, measures here. And I think uh, uh, Roger Goodell and his uh, deputies hear this and say. It's working. There's a big example of it working.
1: Paul, uh, once practice got going, based on protocols of last year and and just how things, uh, there was a workflow there, and I know everything was virtual from a media perspective, but other than the pin where you had post-practice interviews, did it all seem kind of normal? Did it seem kind of 2019-ish?
0: Well, I mean, watching practice last year was relatively normal uh, in terms of being on the sideline outside of wearing a mask. So uh, you know, we weren't in a hot mask today. Um, but in terms of the distance from practice and everything, it was the same as post-practice, you know, just, uh, running for your car to, to go do zoom press conferences or last year, guys, when we had a different radio show, I had a big microphone and a computer in my car where, uh, where I did the zooms. And then I joined you guys, which uh, is a lot, lot worse than, than this. Um, talking to these guys across, um, across the barrier far, far better. Being able to go down a line of questioning with Ryan Tainhill and ask a follow-up question, being able to press John Robinson. I, I, you know, I said, how, how is this different than a guy being perpetually late to practice if you're a team first kind of team, you know, and he got pissed and, and was very short with me, but I got to pursue the line of questioning. Um, it feels new and fresh and fantastic. <laughs> um, so, it's good to be back to some semblance of normal. Um, I sure wish I could, you know, pick a guy off and, and walk off my, uh, myself, uh, potentially alone with the guy. But, um, you know, those guys stayed at the barriers long enough that you could get your question in and not necessarily um, give it up to, to everyone there. And I think we're going down enough different avenues. And they made an effort for that last year, quite frankly, in the Zooms. That, uh, that worry that everybody was going to take your line of questioning and go with it. Yeah. You know, that, that's going to happen a lot of the time if you get something really good anyway, unless you're completely alone. And getting completely alone with the big timers is hard to do. I'm going to get completely alone with Ryan Tannehill three or four times over the course of the season when I've got something really precise that I'm working on and set it up with PR that I could walk away from the podium with him. And, you know, I'll get those moments back this year. I didn't have them last year.
1: NFL training camp's underway across the league. We're live from Titans training camp with a report from P.K., mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll do this daily uh, as practices are open to the media. Uh, Paul, it, this team is very confident. Roger Saffold said as much in his press availability today. How confident? What, what did the veteran offensive lineman have to say?
0: Roger Saffold, uh, I, I wish I had memorized it, Hutton. You have the tweet in front of you? I, I need the precise wording. Uh, it'll take me a second here. I was shocked, really, at how far that he went. He said, uh, we are insanely confident. Now, he circled back to say, you know, that's got to come with a dose of uh, uh, consistent humility checks. Um, and I followed up. Here's an example of following up. You know, I said, that's not the kind of confidence you could have on the first day of a new deal. That's got to be brewing over several years. And he said, absolutely. You know, we're at the point now. And then I asked about, you know, stacking Julio Jones on top of that. He said, you know, Julio Jones gives that receiving group a new, a, a new bar of confidence and then you add him to that, and it gives the cornerbacks a new level of confidence going against a group that's added Julio Jones. So absolutely. But Ryan Tannehill, you know, asked about that comment, was sure to say, we haven't done crap yet. You know, so a team's always keeping itself in check. But we've, we've talked about this amongst the three of us. They have every reason to feel really good about themselves, provided they put the work in. And that's always the theme at the beginning for a team that had success the prior year. And we don't start where we left off. We start at zero again and have to rebuild it. But like Saffold's saying, they have every reason to believe that they can rebuild it to very good. They didn't lose a lot that they didn't want to lose. And they're confident that they can replace everything that they lost and in some instances have replaced it with better people, a la Julio Jones being better than Corey Davis.
1: Well, let's stick right there with the wide receivers. Uh, it seems like based on your observations, that group had a very dominant day. We saw a clip of Nick westbrook Aquina matched up against Breon Borders in red zone. Uh, I'm sure he didn't stop there. How dominant were they?
0: Well, the thing that really caught my eye was the uh, red zone one-on-one period. So I think you're seeing an end zone behind me. This isn't the end zone they were in. They were down at the other end of the field. Um, But red zone one-on-one, the Titans receivers were excellent. And Julio Jones didn't participate in that period. So before that period, if you check my Twitter, I strung together uh, three Julio Jones catches where he was just kind of uh, taking a couple steps to the corner right at the pylon and catching balls from Tannehill. He caught three in a row, you know, beautiful, over-the-shoulder, right-at-the-pylon catches. Uh, But then he didn't participate in that period. Uh, Nick Westbrook-Akina made two terrific catches. I was on one side, so I saw that side very well. Racy McMath was very good in that period. Uh, I was talking to some other reporters, talking about how how good I thought the receivers were in that period, and they said, or the cornerbacks were really bad. Look, I'm going to give the receivers credit. How many times, guys, has the – Have the receivers look great on the opening day of Titans training camp in any period, uh, I would argue. It's historically a really bad position for this team. And historically, the defense is ahead. You know, I think in recent years, we've talked about the feisty Malcolm Butler being really good on on opening day and things like that. You know, it's not some huge opening day sign, but I thought that period for the receivers to very clearly win one-on-ones in the red zone. I also remember, Hutt, the last couple of years talking about the offense struggling in the red zone in practice, which didn't turn out to be a thing come the regular season, right? But I remember even talking privately to Arthur Smith going off the field, saying, like, how are you guys so bad in the red zone so consistently during these practices? And him poo-pooing it, and he was right, but they were consistently getting clobbered in the red zone in practices out here. And uh, they were quite good today. A lot of guys making a lot of plays. Uh, I was impressed. It carried over somewhat. The defense got better in seven-on-seven seven in, in team. McMath was still making plays. Batson made several plays. He got um, one broken up a ball uh, hit away from him at the end. And Rabel was telling him, uh, we were talking about this inside, right? We said, guys have a tendency to get lax with the ball when they get near the sideline. And so that was a teaching moment for him to say, this is exactly what we were talking about inside, and now here it is outside, and you're not doing what we talked about, where somebody sneaks up on you and jars the ball loose. I think it might have been Breon Borders, who also uh, turned out to have a, a pretty scrappy day. Um, Kevin Byard had a couple breakups, and I thought was, was very active. So the receivers tailed off a little bit things even out in the end but I thought the most eye-catching thing for me today was that red zone period and those receivers AJ Brown was involved a little bit he beat Jack Rabbit uh, Jenkins uh, in one play Westbrook Akina looked really good in that period Bracey McMath um, that period and throughout the day I I thought was pretty uh, pretty impressive Jack Rabbit Jenkins by the way he is so far with that name guys that's his name on the roster (laughs) He <laughs> is not Janoris Jenkins on the roster. I don't know if you'll be able to see this. Um, yeah, show it says that. Jack Rabbit. It says Jack. If you can see number yes. twenty, Jack yes, Rabbit it Jenkins.
2: <laughs> This—it it so seems like
0: let's scrap Janoris.
2: It seems like a move almost done by a college athlete for NIL purposes that you would change it to Jack yeah. Rabbit because you have some sort it's of like um, endorsement on the way with that. Yeah, it is. So, that's he told us when we met him. Career.
0: No, well he told us when we met him. I don't know what they called him uh, in, in New Orleans, but he told us when we met him in the initial Zoom thing, he would call me Rabbit or Jackrabbit. Jack Rabbit. And you know, I kind of go with the uh, with the Eddie Murphy barbershop character yeah. from the original Coming to America. Chad, I know you love the sequel that nobody else saw. I'd probably give it 10 out of 10 or <laughs> two thumbs up, but if he wants to be called Muhammad Ali, I uh, call him Muhammad Ali. So he's a drag
2: rabbit. Can confirm sequel not as good as the original when it comes to that. Hey,
0: look at you. Paul, cool the, uh,
2: the, um, <laughs> the Titans' offense dominating the Titans' defense does not surprise me one bit. And, and I hear you're talking about the receivers, and I think, oh boy, the DBs are awful again. Uh, and I know it's one day of,
0: I of practice. I wouldn't go that far. So, well, let, so, me, so, let me you ask know. you
2: from this perspective, because you just talked all about the receivers and DBs, so I want to ask it, it from this, yeah. this angle. Um, Something that stood out good about the defense—not Breon Borders, not Kevin Byard, who you mentioned—but something that stuck out to you could be a guy's size, could be how they utilized someone, someone that surprised you, good or bad, on the Titans' defense.
0: Well, I thought uh, you're taking away the two key ones that I mentioned. I don't know you're canceling out my two favorites, which were which were Borders and and Byard. Um, I, I thought that they were uh, well organized you know I didn't see uh, I didn't see anybody uh, running around um, to to get reorganized and Christian Fulton was the the starter opposite uh, jackrabbit which uh, we would have expected so uh, I think that's an encouraging sign there's no lingering stuff with him where he was um, a little bit injured in and out during um, during uh, OTAs and minicamp. So uh, I thought that that was a good sign. And I I, I didn't notice him, Chad, in a way that was bad, which I I take as a good thing. I also, um, I'm impressed, or uh, this isn't necessarily straight defense, but this is a a line thing. Um, The offensive line and the defensive line aren't allowed to smash into each other until Monday, right? And that – so I wouldn't think there'd be one-on-ones, right? The Offensive line and defensive line generally would work independent of one another. But Vrabel puts them together and they work one-on-ones, and this is one of those things where they avoid the head contact um, and work very much on hand placement and, uh, and foot placement. Thierry Tartt got rave reviews out of that, and he's getting very strong reviews um, overall. So they continue to talk very nicely about Thierry Tartt.
1: We like to contextualize the first day of camp as a launching point here, but it's important to know where they're starting from. What did you notice about kicker and punt returner?
0: Well, kicker, um, so uh, they alternated from um, 28, 33, 41, and 45. Everything was good, um, McCann was uh, better, looked more confident and better than Heubel. Um But McCann's trajectory is still strikes me as low uh, coming over the line. Not that, not that his kicks are barely making it. His kicks are clearing the bar, you know, sufficiently. But if you're nitpicking these guys, and I think they need to be nitpicked at this stage, you know, McCann is the better of the two kickers. And um, I think his trajectory coming over the line, and I think this was the case with Greg Joseph when he was doing it, I think this is the case with some of these guys, which is why they haven't made it yet, is that their ball uh, tends to come out low. And I I think uh, opposition would be looking at them thinking that they were blockable. Um, McCann, McCann hit the best kick of all of these kicks from 45, a really good, strong kick. He also got an extra kick from 46 that was good. Um, Blake uh, Heibel hit uh, one off the right upright. It wasn't a slowman. It went in at a a more direct angle with less doubt, but he hit one off the right upright. Um, Punt returners, you know, this was during a special teams period, and they were merely catching balls off the machine. I was just struck that it's Chester Rogers, it's Mason Kinsey, and it's Cam Batson three guys who are hardly guaranteed of a roster spot. So at this point in time, you know, there's no prime guy so who's on the roster catching punt.
1: No Darrington Evans, for instance, for day one in that, in that regard.
0: And or, that or, may simply and, and, and be and because – And maybe we
1: see – sorry, Paul. Maybe we see eventually uh, one of those defensive backs back there, right? But, but not today.
0: Yeah, and, and the cause may well be, Hutt, that those guys have roles on the special yeah. teams that they're yeah. working on more prominently on the other field. So those guys are working on their role on, on punt return or whatever it was that they were working on, which is more important today. So these three guys who don't have roles in that, they say, hey, go catch some punts off the machine.
1: What, any, any observation on, on day one of Anthony Ferkser? We saw the clip with him in one-on-one drills in space with Harold Landry. What you has he bulked up, son? Some, some does he look different from twenty twenty?
0: Where he looks different to me is shoulder width. You know, uh, they, yeah, they don't have pads on or even shells today. They're just in helmets and shorts. Um, and you know, always dangerous, right? When when guys like us are standing here assessing bodies, um, <laughs> but and and weird too, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, he looks wider this way to me um, up here maybe more V'd out um, and so I think that's of note I still you know I caution people who think he's going to become an inline tight end who is uh, blocking outside linebackers and defensive ends on a regular basis I think he could do that more often than he's done it in the past that being a handful of snaps here and there primarily his blocking I think Hutt and Chad is going to be what it's been which is digging out of safety or dealing with a blitzing corner, um, that's the kind of tight end he is. And then there's going to be Jeff Swain and one of these other guys, a Pickney, a Hudson, uh, the two undrafted guys, uh, Forrestall from, from um, uh, Alabama or uh, the Kansas State kid, who are going to have their chances to, to be the third guy, and the third guy is probably going to be more in the form of Swain than in the form of Ferguson.
1: Nothing like uh, uh, years years ago uh, with the gushing over uh, just how beautiful Cameron Wake was as an NFL body on the practice oh, field. Oh
0: God, let's go into that for a minute because I think it's dangerous for grown men who are in the sports casting, sports writing, sports broadcasting injury to, uh, industry to to gush that much about male physiques. And this is not a uh, homophobic thing. Right. I just right. think. When uh, we have all been around enough athletes, uh, NBA guys, you know, are very tall. So, so when, when we have an NBA guy in as a guest, we're not like saying, holy hell, this guy is tall. <laughs> and then like opining about like, look at this guy. And then, like you know, making jokes about how close to the moon he is. Like, we understand that NBA guys are tall. I, you know, Cameron Wake coming in was a physical specimen. Yeah. I I would expect, you know, a guy who's, what is it, top 20, top 25, top 30 all-time pass rusher? I, I would expect a guy to look like that. The story is if he doesn't look like that, right? The story is when a, when a great athlete doesn't have a great physique or a great uh, body. that That's the story I'd read. Hey, look at this guy. He had, he had 15 sacks this year, and he's not very well – uh, sculpted that's amazing to me I, I would expect any NFL athlete who's productive to have you know the prototypical body for that position if it doesn't then I, I want to read about that I want to see some pictures
1: and we're seeing a, a great shot of the beautiful Paul Koharski live from Titans training camp and we're going to be doing this daily and here if you on the want, show. if
2: you want any gushing over some guy's traps and how big they are <laughs> There's programming for that. This is not that programming. You'll not be getting that here. <laughs> the, the only yeah. thing we'll gush over yeah. here
1: in this studio are Chad's nips. That's, that's right. That's, that's the only thing. Yeah. We'll and say. we welcome which, that which on Lance, the YouTube chat also.
0: Lance called, that. Those, Lance called those pencil erasers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Coming up, uh, and what I'll try to do each day is to, uh, after a, a, a thorough assessment, which was great here by Paul, of what happened in practice, bring one big Titans topic to the table. Today's topic is Derek Henry in his quest for a three-peat. I'll get into that. Plus, Aaron Rodgers is actually doing exactly what everyone hoped he would do. According to NFL Twitter, right now he is going in depth, he's being honest, and he is airing his feelings on the Green Bay Packers and taking us through I the love. offseason. So we'll we'll assess some of these quotes and react to what Aaron Rodgers has to say about the organization, where he has admitted he... he truly considered retiring over the vibe he was getting from the front office.
2: By the way, I also just want to clarify, my nipples are the only thing on my body that is pro-athlete quality. So just want to put that out there to be full disclosure, uh, to be completely honest. More with PK. And for Titan. we
0: think that Chad only has two, but there's an investigation <laughs> yeah, going well,
1: on. Well, that's right. Yeah, there, 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 is, uh, there are some who have three. Come find you know. out, Paul. <laughs> Come find out. More coming from Titans Training Camp in the Tennessee Power Hour straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour live from Titans Training Camp. Paul Koharski joins us from St. Thomas Sports Park over in Metro Center. Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton live from Studio G at Blackbird Studios in Nashville. Paul, I'm I'm not sure how much work Derrick Henry received today, but the backups behind him are in a battle for reps. What can you tell us about day number one in that regard?
0: Yeah, Derrick Henry, uh, you know, he did the uh, individual and, uh, you know, some work. When the team period started, he was not to be found. He was over in the sand pit, uh, which is way back at the corner of that building. Uh, If you could see a tent way back there. Um, the, the corner back there has a, has a sand pit that guys work at sometimes. And he's going to spend a lot of time in that sand pit. Um, th- there's no secret. They, they don't need him to practice a lot. Taylor LeJuan was also kind of in and out. He didn't do much much team stuff, any team stuff, I don't think, today. So Derrick Henry's not going to do a lot of work. They don't need Derrick Henry to do a lot of work. I, I have no problem with Derrick Henry not doing a lot of work. Jeremy McNichols is on, what, PUP or NFI? I, I don't know which. Um, I don't know with what. But, uh, that means Darrington Evans is the lead back. And they had a period today where they, a team period where they did a lot of running. And the second back is Brian Hill. And, and Brian Hill, as far as I'm concerned, is here to compete with Jeremy Nichols for, uh, for that third running back spot behind Henry and Evans. He's got to be good on special teams, got to be able to, uh, to, to take some carries if somebody gets hurt or late in a game. Uh, blowout kind of game. And he's got to be able to play special teams if they keep three active. And uh, I think Hill, uh, if, if McNichols is you know, on that list for a couple days, a week, a couple weeks, Hill's got a chance here to to get in front of him. I, I think they like McNichols. I think McNichols did good work. But Henry's not going to participate. So Evans is going to get a lot of carries, and the guys behind Evans are going to get a lot of carries. And McNichols not in that bunch right now. The third guy is uh, Sargent. And then, uh, and, and after Sergeant, you know, we saw Blasting game, Boston game, even get a couple carries. So that's the way things stack up there, and I think it's a big opportunity for for Hill, who did some good things in Atlanta.
1: Each day, when Paul joins us from Titans training camp, we'll bring one big Titans topic that we'll go in depth and, and discuss uh, with, with some layers to it as we go into the Titans season. And we start topic number one with the baddest man. Uh, on the Tennessee Titans and the NFL. And and that's Derrick Henry in his quest for an historical three-peat. And we'll put this in perspective. Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, LaDainian Tomlinson. They're the only running backs with three seasons averaging 100 yards per game over the course of that season. That's for a full career. Derrick Henry averaged 126.7 yards per game last season. And in 2019... He averaged 102.7. He, he's, he's averaged 100 yards per game l- the last two seasons. And I just mentioned Emmett and LT and Barry Sanders did this three times in their entire careers. Only three backs have averaged 100 yards per game currently. It's, it's Henry twice and, and Dalvin Cook once. It is rare to go back to back. Henry's done that. He now has a chance to 3 with an extra game added on to the schedule. Going back to 2004, and on our screen, uh, the, the graphic gives some further detail here. Going back to 2004, no running back has gone for 100 or more yards in three straight seasons. And the simple question is here, will he do it again? He's got the 17th game. Uh, We have seen Sean Alexander, Tiki Barber, and LaDainian Tomlinson do it in back-to-back years. They could not three-peat. A lot lot of this is health and durability. Henry has done that, and we've detailed over the offseason how little he was used over his first three seasons compared to the last two. But Chad, let's dig further. Since 1990, here are the running backs who have done it twice. Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, Tomlinson, Larry Johnson, Edron James, Sean Alexander, T.D., Tiki Barber. They've all had two consecutive seasons of 100 yards per game. This offense still goes through number 22, and he has a chance to be better than all of those backs in three consecutive seasons because they didn't do it three times. I, I mentioned the historical reference there because we are seeing a back in his prime, not just leading the charge for his team, but he's leading a path to the Pro Football Hall of Fame right here on the Tennessee Titans roster. And, and let's take it one step further before we bring Paul back into the conversation. Over the first eight NFL seasons, and I use this because Ladanian Tomlinson was absurd. He had, over, he had nearly 12,000 rushing yards over his first eight NFL seasons and 126 touchdowns. Nine NFL backs have reached 10,000 yards after eight seasons. Eddie George is, is one of them. Um, Chris Johnson nearly reached 10,000 after eight seasons. For Derrick Henry to do that, he needs to average 1,400 yards per season over the next three years. Does he do that? That would get him to 10,000 and, and of course that would set records that we haven't seen at a pace. Paul, I bring it up only because this offense still goes through him as good as it is, and we are witnessing him in his prime in a season where the Titans have extremely high expectations. How high is the ceiling for him right now?
0: Well, I mean, I think a lot of people talk about uh, you know, the drop-off coming. Uh, you know, a lot of people are telling me that people are talking about Derrick Henry's drop-off coming. I don't. I haven't seen anybody talking about Derrick Henry's drop off coming this season. I, I think you're crazy if you're anticipating Derrick Henry's drop off coming this season. The only thing that d- drops off Derrick Henry this season is an injury, mm-hmm. and you know fluke injuries happen. Somebody could look. He's incredibly fit, sturdy, durable. Now you can you can say those things over and over. That doesn't mean that some lineman can't roll up his leg and hurt him, right? those things happen in football all the time to even the most fit, durable people. So we've been saying it over and over, and it's kind of a caveat that goes into every single discussion we have, uh, that there's a, a potential health issue, right? I think for Henry to, to average a hundred yards a game again, to me, I think it relies on him hitting 200 a couple of times mm-hmm. because I, I think, and I'm trying to call up his game by game, you know, I don't know what his low games were last year. He had a 60. Month. He had a 60. He had a 68. He had a 75. He had a 57. He had an 84. You know, I think you're going to have some 57, 75, 68, 60s, right? And so how do you offset those and have a, a massive uh, season with the 100-yard average, which would get you to 1,700, and then you'd only be 300 away from a, from a back-to-back 2,000-yard season? It's those monster games against the inferior run defenses. Houston jumps immediately to mind, right? But you're going to play some teams that just are not equipped to handle him. And against those teams, he's proven capable of, of putting up massive numbers. And if he puts up those massive numbers, I think, you know, a third season averaging 100 is entirely possible. I think, too, there's also a little bit of luck involved in this, right? Does he get the ball at the 20 to, to break an 80 yard run or that you know if the titans have better field position all game is that run a 50 yarder instead of an 80 yarder? or 30 yards not available to him the way that they have been the last two years maybe he runs up against that more often and simply doesn't have the opportunity to have the same long runs that have boosted him so far
2: Paul, I agree with you, and two words that sports fans hate to hear lead me to believe that there's not going to be a drop-off from Derrick Henry. That is load management. He had a very light workload his first two years. You said it. Derrick Henry doesn't need to practice much. He doesn't need to be out there taking any unnecessary hits. You know what you have with Derrick Henry. Sports fans hate to hear those two words because they immediately think of the NBA. But I think load management is going to end up being the reason Derrick Henry's not going to have a drop-off this year. The opposite of that is Kumar Rocker, who just may have thrown his arm out while pitching a bunch of innings at Vanderbilt and gets the Major League Baseball, and now there's a problem. Derrick Henry ran a lot at Alabama, but because he had that two-year respite behind DeMarco Murray, I think we're just now seeing everything really open up for Derrick Henry. I- I'm, not, I'm like you, Paul. I'm not seeing this impending doom or enormous drop-off with Derrick Henry this season.
0: I think you might roll them out there for the home game in the preseason because people have tickets for it, you know. Yeah. Uh but I don't even know if Rabel does that, right? I don't know if Rabel's concerned with that. It'd be good from a marketing standpoint to let your your home fan base that can finally be in the stadium for that Chicago game see your star and roll out Julio Jones and uh, provided they're all healthy, Julio and and uh and 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 uh Derek and A.J. for a series to, to let everybody see what's coming. But beyond that, I, I, I doubt he plays in Atlanta or in Tampa. And uh, like I said, I think he'll be in the sand pit plenty out here or, or inside. And uh, I'm, I'm past the point where it's a question for Vrabel. It's a, it's a given now.
1: When we come back, we will dissect some of the quotes that Aaron Rodgers just gave to the press in Green Bay. Uh, he was extremely open and honest. He admitted how and, and, the, and detailed his contemplation uh, about retiring instead of playing for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he has discussed about this season and beyond this season, and the overall discussion that he had behind the scenes about knowing some of the decisions that are going on with the roster. We'll we'll detail that straight ahead on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour. Shout out to Fox Sports Knoxville, uh, Fan Run Radio there, uh, 1340, 105.7, uh, for airing the show nightly from 7 to 9 p.m. in Knoxville, Tennessee. And speaking of the Vols, there is a Vols, a new Vols, in a starting lineup right now on day number one of camp, Chad?
2: Sixth round pick, Trey Smith, is the starting right guard in camp for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Andy Reid was asked about it after their practice, and he said he's done a nice job. He showed enough to legitimately be in that position right now. He's got to compete. We'll see how all of that goes when the pads go on. This does not surprise me in the least. The only thing that's holding Trey Smith back are the medicals and his lung issues and getting the blood clotting under control. He is a late first round, second round pick if there are no issues with that. And he fell to the sixth round and right when I saw Kansas City draft him, I thought this is a great spot because he's gonna come in and compete to be a starter where they had some issues on the interior of their offensive line. So kudos to Trey Smith. It's one day of training camp. It's obviously very early, but he is in position right now to possibly be the starting right guard for the Kansas City Chiefs as a six-round draft pick.
1: We mentioned one. Quickly on that. Yep, yep.
0: I I just want to say that everybody takes for granted that Kansas City will be great again. That is a major offensive line overhaul. And these things can take time. So I understand that Kansas City's great. They've got the best quarterback. They're great at the skill positions. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are big problems. And they've got a good pass rush. But Clark is in trouble, right? So there's some difficulty there. And the offensive line is completely transformed. So I wouldn't put it past the Chiefs to have a little adjustment period, maybe at the beginning of the season. I don't have their schedule in front of me. But Hutton, you were talking the other day about, you know, maybe Buffalo and Tennessee belong. I think it was you, maybe it was Chad. Chad. uh, Belong grouped with Kansas City, not after Kansas City. I've gotten burned by this before because the year they made the transition with their defense when Sutton was out and – and they, took, they changed the front and everything. I, I said I thought that they would fall back. And they did fall back a little bit. And then they adjusted over the course of the season. And they were perfectly fine. I think that's the year they won it. Um, but I won't be surprised if there's an adjustment phase in Kansas City. That, that, that's a lot of turnover.
1: Uh, FanDuel has them at uh, over under 12 wins. Again, extra game. Uh, factor that in. But you mentioned the start to their season. They have two games at Arrowhead of this stretch, but they will start the season hosting the Cleveland Browns. They then travel to Baltimore and then return home against the Chargers. So it's a three-pack of AFC teams that are tone-setters for all other three uh, NFL organizations there, too. Uh, We've got a major headline in Houston. We, we We dissected and discussed earlier in the show with Deshaun Watson showing up, and he's on the practice field for the Houston Texans because the NFL is allowing it to happen. And the Texans have no other recourse because if he's not there, he's fined. It's a mandatory fine. He's going to show up. And there's really no decision to be made for Houston other than allow him to wear the red jersey and figure out a way to just let him stand around as much as possible. Beyond that, the major storyline is Aaron Rodgers, who is in Green Bay, is taking reps, and was very open and honest about the offseason saga and everything that has gone on that has led to his eventual uh, rejoining of, of, of the locker room and, and the team and I'll, I'll read some of the quotes and I'm going to just use pro football talk but they're, they're all over the place um, from Aaron Rodgers today the organization looks at me and my job as just to play and he explained that given the unique circumstances he should have quote a little more input uh, he went on, went on to express his frustration with the team's failure to seek his opinion on matters such as players who or will not stay with the team. Quote, at least to be in the conversation makes it feel like you're important and you're respected. Uh, he went on to say that, that his overriding goal was and is trying to be a resource for the organization. He was offered more money. He said it's not about the money. He, he has admitted, Chad, that he contemplated retirement. He has also stated that there will be some difficult decisions to be made at the end of this year, but he is focused on enjoying this year with his teammates. And when asked if he wanted to be there, I, I thought it was telling. He says, I do, I, I love the city, and I love the, or." and he stops at organization, and he stops himself from finishing that word and says, you know, the fans. He, he jumped into that answer as well. Uh, I, according to everyone that has been sitting either on the zoom chat or was there in person, uh, they feel as though he was extremely open and honest. Uh, and it was more refreshing than anything else to hear him clarify his stance on things, uh, as it stands. And again, he reiterated, I do want to be here. I love my teammates. I love the city. I love my coaches. Definitely something I thought about in regards to retirement. And recently he, he decided to stay put. We've got some things figured out in the last few days, and now I'm here. And the quote about 2022, I really don't know. Things in that direction haven't really changed at all. There's going to be a lot of tough decisions at the end of the year. I'm just going to enjoy this year. I'm not a victim here at all. It's a business.
2: In this tweet from Rob Domofsky, friend of the show, who writes, and he's covered the Packers for a while and Aaron Rodgers for a while. This might be the most detailed Rodgers has been about anything he's ever discussed in this room. But the crux of the problem is this line, quote, I just want to be involved in conversations that affect my ability to do my job. Paul, this leads me back to the Packers butchering this relationship. I don't know how you don't at least speak to Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback about offensive personnel decisions. He's not asking to have the final say, but he would like at least a call or a text to discuss things that could affect as he, as he put it the ability to do his job
0: yeah and gms and coaches massage relationships with quarterbacks all across the league quarterbacks quite frankly many who are inferior to aaron Rodgers. um you know i think Derek carr probably uh yeah at least before john gruden they'd say Wait, what do you think of this guy you know or we're thinking about cutting this guy. Yeah. Small stuff and not final say by any means. So I just think that green Bay lost, lost sight of that. Uh, probably for, uh, ego reasons, you know, maybe Rogers isn't the easiest guy to go with to stuff on that because he's a little bit of a awkward, weird dude. And so I could see part of it being, you know, ah, it's a hassle to go to him because he's so weird about it and then you don't go to him a couple times because he's so weird about it and it ends up fracturing a very important relationship and you're like oh crap you know i didn't go to him a couple times because he's such an awkward weird dude to deal with who doesn't talk to his family and gets engaged and doesn't tell anybody about it and now i've messed up the relationship um but you got to do a better job than they've done obviously and they they need to do a better job of it this year so that when they sort this thing out next year, they're in a better place to do it because we're going to be having all this same conversation next year. Hopefully it comes to a a neater, quicker ending, but they they basically bought themselves a year and they're going to be a fun team to watch and an interesting team to watch. I don't know if they're going to get there, but this is a one big last hurrah and it's kind of fun to watch one big last hurrah. It it was kind of fun to watch the Patriots when we presumed it was Tom's one big last hurrah. I
2: mean, I don't care if Aaron Rodgers wanted to talk to me about his belief in Scientology, every time <laughs> yeah, we had a conversation, <laughs> I'm the GM, I put up with it to make sure that he feels like he's wanted and he's in on the decision, even if I'm the GM and I'm the one making the final decision. So I don't think there's any excuses with uh, Green Bay management on that. Yeah, one, funny, one funny quote from this, I find it funny, um, asked about free agency. He, Aaron Rodgers said, Green Bay isn't a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me. While very arrogant and egotistical to say that, he's not wrong when he's talking of about not. offensive players.
1: Yeah, t- uh, players would would choose to go elsewhere if they know Aaron Rodgers is not there. Right. Um, that that that's a that's a huge factor here as well, uh, and, and it's more that we will dissect tomorrow for sure uh, as we listen through the entire press conference. There will be more tidbits and information there. Paul, great job today. Uh, back at it tomorrow, same time at one o'clock Eastern for the full report from Titans Training Camp will go live with you starting at noon central tomorrow.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Good times.
1: And on the way Good out. Stuff. Thank you, Pauly. Thank you, Polly. Good, Good stuff. stuff. Good stuff. On the way Good out, stuff. Chad, it, it is time to make some money. Time to make it rain. Bang, bang. The 360 Parlay, fanduel.com slash OK360. fanduel.com slash OK360. And Chad, we are headed multiple places, including we're rooting for Japan to cover tonight. And is it men's basketball? Sure. Okay. Why not?
2: Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to an area that I know all so well. That's Russian fencing. We're going to have the Russian foil fencing team, the team foil competition to capture the gold at minus 105. Japan, the host nation, they got Rui Hachimura. Great player from Gonzaga, NBA player. They're going to cover that 20 and a half against Slovenia. Slovenia, I believe, by the way, uh, Luka Doncic. Yes, I'm worried about that. that. that squad. <laughs> I'm a little concerned, but I'll Chad, you just what, realized it's, that. it's hard to find events that happen <laughs> when you just see a time and not a day next to it. Uh, uh, that's going to happen at 11.40 p.m. Central Time tonight. And give me the Phillies' money line. Zach Wheeler on the bump for the Phillies going against the Nationals. They are the biggest favorite tonight. In Major League Baseball, three-leg parlay, $5 bet, gets you $27. That is tonight's Daily Parlay. I I
1: love this because it it invests me in the Olympics and and, and games I would otherwise not even pay attention to. It makes it fun. Thank you for choosing this around the Olympic Games. Hutton
2: said he's going to go ahead and pay for Peacock just to watch that (laughs) Russian women's team foil competition tonight in fencing to make sure that he's on top of it.
1: On the way out- And report back to us on it. On the way out, uh, the Predators have uh, extended, uh, they've re-signed Mikkel Granlin to a four-year $20 million contract. That fourth year and the extra million uh, is going to haunt them, that's my prediction. A three-year you know 12 or 13 million felt right with this deal, I think the fourth year is going to haunt them. But it's obvious, that they feel like they can make the playoffs this season, and they had to bring a player like him back in order to make that push and make that statement both in their locker room and to the fan base. We can hit on that in further detail tomorrow during the Power Hour.
2: Quick tease for tomorrow also at some point during the show. I am going to add to the conference expansion plan from Clint Lamb of OutKick that we had on to discuss last week. I'm going to throw out a fun hypothetical to Hutton and if Paul's on with us yep. at that point, him as well, about what could be in the future of a super conference SEC.
1: We are back at it tomorrow, and tomorrow, are we full tomorrow night for the event at 6th and Peabody? body? We have. I've got a couple flex spots. We have oh, fifteen people. We're signed a yes up, and
2: a no. But we've got we've got a couple flex spots. Hit us up on. Trust Twitter. me, they answer to me. Uh, I, will, I will tell them how many <laughs> spots we have. Don't worry, ladies. You've got a spot. You're in. You'll be there. But we, we could add a couple people if you want. Slide into our DMs. Let us know. We're going to be at 6 and Peabody tomorrow night, 6 to 8 p.m. We're going to have a great time. Here's the graphic. 6 and Peabody, downtown Old Smoky Yeehaw facility. And you've got free food. If you were on the list, DM us. Mention us on Twitter. Email us at 360 at outkick.com. Let us know if you want to attend tomorrow night uh, our
1: Outkick 360 night out. And you can join us tomorrow, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central for Outkick 360.